Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Liverpool's epic with Manchester City takes us into the international break, but is it a three-horse race or a four-horse race for the Premier League title and Mohamed Salah? Is he the best player in the world? So much to talk about on this week's episode of The Gagenpot as we also look ahead to the international window. As ever, let's get started. Yes, hi everyone. David Wiener back with you for another episode of The Gagenpot. Good to be with you again after a little week off and good to be back with the guys to discuss well, what many think is a wonderful, wonderful example of why we all love the Premier League. We'll kick off, of course, with Liverpool's two-all draw with Manchester City amongst all the big talking points in the Premier League and the world of football as ever. Michael Bridges, Thomas Harris and Mark Schwartz. So great to see you all once again. Bridgie, it's fair to say we got an absolute cracker yesterday, Monday morning, to round out the Premier League and take us into the international break with Liverpool and Manchester City showing just about all the hallmarks of the very best of the competition. Yes, it was an amazing match and lived up to all the expectations. You know, two fantastic managers, the players on display and the game itself. I mean, Anfield was just electric. I love listening to You'll Never Walk Alone, but that was, was something special about that day. Even before kickoff, it just got everything boiling. First half, very, very cagey. And then it came to light second half with all four goals and just absolutely magnificent. And I, I admire the way Liverpool went about their business and Klopp changed things up. And you've got to admire the spirit and the resolve that City showed to come back on both occasions and a fair result in the end. But what, what a game just for the to think that was the final match of the Premier League going into the break for the international. It was just a, a great, great match to witness. And I thoroughly enjoyed it myself. I mean, Liverpool, 15 points, second behind Chelsea. Manchester City now up on 14 points. They're climbing their way back up. It was Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah. We will talk about Salah in depth a little bit in a, in a, in a little bit more of a moment. That was quite an extraordinary goal, of course, with Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne uh, pegging both those goals back for Manchester City. What did you take out of the game? What did you take out of the game in terms of what this means for this compelling season we've got on our hands? No, you know, I think there's a lot of storylines in, in the game. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, obviously the tactical uh, decisions by uh, Guardiola, I think, you know, playing Grealish up top, uh, you know, I think he's, he's played three different people up top uh, just in the last week. Um, but, but again, I, th- I think we saw, you know, some of the best that, that City uh, can offer and, and, and also a little bit of resolve at the end, uh, you know, that, that last ditch uh you know, tackle just to save the game. Mm. Uh, so it's you know, it showed that these are two of the you know absolute best teams uh, in the league, and and Liverpool again that they're back to their best. You know, they're they're title contenders again. Uh, and again, yeah, like you said, we'll we'll, we'll touch on uh, you know the, the big star Salah and that goal, which was a world world class. So so the game had everything. You know, that battle with 
you know, Foden versus Milner. I think we saw Milner <laughs> probably, you know, uh, you know, uh, showing his age a bit. Uh, and again, a, a young player that's coming back now again uh, after a little bit of a, uh, a downtime. So, uh, yeah, great, great things to, to, to watch and, and great for the Premier League, as he said. You mentioned it was, and that was the Rodri Bach block on uh, in the last few minutes. That yeah. was that was a goal beckoning, amazing, amazing stuff. As good as a goal scored, you have to say there. Um, Schwartz, um, Tommy mentioned Grealish playing as the false nine on this occasion. Well, everyone says if Pep Guardiola had a one hundred million pound striker, they'd be walking the league. They had one on the weekend. It wasn't quite who everyone expected. What did you make of the use of a Grealish there and how that all played out, and just your general impressions of the game? Um, well, he's obviously not a striker, though, is he? Um, Grealish. I mean, he's no, a hundred million pound so player, just, but he's... Te- technically on the weekend he had a hundred million striker. It just wasn't a striker. <laughs> he was hoping. For yeah, I, I think, <laughs> you know, I think with Jack Grealish, it's still trying to find a way for him to really have an influence and to grab games by the scruff of the net. We see glimpses of it. We see him unbelievable on the ball, but. You know, only one goal returned so far um, since he's been at City. It's probably a little bit disappointing. Um, I think, you know, with Pope Guardiola, we've seen time and time again, he's not afraid to, to change things around. He's not afraid to make decisions um, to catch people out on big occasions. He's done it numerous times before. Um, I, I don't think Jack Grealish has an out-and-out number nine is the right position for him, but who am I to, to argue with Pep Guardiola? In the end, they got the result they... They, I mean, they certainly deserved it. I thought it was a great game. I thought um, the usual atmosphere at Anfield, particularly when it's a big game, the the intensity, the pace of the game, um, Liverpool, uh, what can I say, at home with that crowd are, are very, very formidable. And City obviously got class. They've got class all over the pitch. And then obviously when you've got individuals like both sides have that can change games, put game, you know, turn spin games on its head, um, you're always, well, you're generally always in for an absolute corker of a game. It certainly wasn't let down, were we? Not at all. I just when you mentioned Milner before, Tom, I had to go look up the boring James Milner Twitter account. Absolute gold. It just says deadpan. I just asked Phil Foden to stop running so quickly at me. It's very tiring. That was a great, <laughs> that was a great tactical battle, though, wasn't it, Bridging Foden? Foden back in the uh, back in the eleven. This time out on the out on, out on the flank. Um, Bernardo Silva. There are a lot of stars that were just uh, at a at a really extraordinary level. Um, which one? What what were the battles? What were the moments? What were the takeouts for you that that decided? I mean, decided this game, swung this game, made it what it was. I've got to say, the I love the battles that you were seeing all over the park. I love the diversity of Manchester City and how the players are able to adapt so quickly when Pep Guardiola changes their positions. Phil Foden on that left-hand side, I thought was marvellous. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jack Grealish. Has he done what is expected as a winger? Nobody's been very influential in the games. But when Phil drives up players or you've got quick wingers that do things, Milner got exposed. And I felt that was a better dynamic for City rather than having Jack Grealish out there who loves to, you know, drifts inside a lot of the time on that right foot. Phil gave him a lot more balance, I, I felt, and Milner couldn't handle it. And, you know, having grown up with James Milner at Leeds and seeing this fresh, flamboyant player come into the into the fold and to see him um, against Phil Foden, you, Tommy just said there, you could see he was showing his age, unfortunately, and it had to come at some point, and it was Phil that showed him up. But the two, the main, there was two main moments in the game. One was a Bernardo Silva run for me where he looked like he was doing a messy when he twisted oh. and turned on the edge of yeah. um, about three or four Liverpool players. That was brilliant. The most Salah goal for me 
absolutely world-class. But the moment that changed this game was Jurgen Klopp at halftime. As soon as that referee's whistle blew for halftime, Jurgen Klopp took off down the tunnel as quick as I have ever seen him move because I, I thought they were totally outclassed in that first half and he had a game plan. He wanted to get his message over the players. He was down the tunnel as quick as he could and they came out second half with a new purpose, Liverpool. And if anybody gets a chance to watch Jurgen Klopp's interview on the Optus Sport app, I'll tell you what, listen, it's the most tactical interview I've ever seen him give after a game where he explained that Liverpool's long balls weren't, mm. it was out of their dynamics. He wanted them to play the extra pass. He wanted them to relax. He wanted them to switch the ball from left to right. And he got it absolutely spot on because they came out second half. So for me, that was the turning point and that was the standout after listening to him. I want to go back to that point you mentioned earlier on about James Milner saying that, you know, he had a torrid time. Listen, any player, most players in the Premier League, let alone in Europe, will have a torrid time against Phil Foden when they're running in. Uh, the pace, energy, uh, the finesse that he has. Um, so, yeah, I mean, James Milner is a phenomenal player and has been a phenomenal player. Yes, he is the wrong side of 30, but still going incredibly well. And I think he does incredibly well as that stopgap, but he's just coming up against an absolute world-class player in Phil Foden. Hey, Bridges, is actually boring. James, yeah, um, you know what it is? He actually was really boring, Milner, because um, when he rumored me, he was a young 17, 17 year old boy. Obviously, I was, um, I would have been 21. I think Harry Kulamy got split up and he buddied with Aaron Lennon and I buddied with James Milner. And I was saying to, to Mills, you know, listen that about the career, and you know, he's he's Milner looks after himself, he's a true professional, teetotal. Um, his partner at the time was an older girl from the local cricket club that he'd been seeing since childhood. And Milner's never changed. He's still with that girl. He's still, still a teetotal. He's still a professional. I tried to corrupt him and it didn't happen. He stayed strong and I'm delighted for him because he's gone on to have the career he has for being that person. Um, and obviously at the time, he was just young and coming into the team and you're not going to be the, the loud mouth or try to be the, the showman. And after witnessing and seeing Millie, oh, when did I see him? A few years back at Anfield um, when Brendan Rodgers um, was the manager. Uh, Millsy was one of the main men in the dressing room. And it, was, it was actually good to see. It's a great Twitter account. Whether it's true or not, it's a great Twitter account. Very, very funny. What do we, we, we will touch. We've obviously got big takeouts on Manchester United after what we saw on the weekend and Chelsea sort of rolled through against uh, Southampton. But for the, for, the, for the title race on, what did this tell us about these two teams? It, it, there's a fantastic piece on the Off the Sport app from our, our scribe who was at the game for us uh, at Anfield on the weekend, Alex Kebble, who talked about it being a throwback, full stadiums, great players, amazing atmosphere, and the two teams that dominated the last few years at full pomp, it kind of felt a bit like that, didn't it? Do you, is that is that how you, you look at it going into the international break? We might have the yardstick sides or the two sides to watch to breathing down Chelsea's neck? I think so. You know, now we, we, we're we looking at, you know, the form over the, you know, the last couple of weeks and, and this game in particular, you, you're sort of seeing United slipping back a little bit and, and there's something not quite right there, um, you know, with the midfield, obviously, you know, we saw the bench and, and, and you know, how he was playing around with, with that at the weekend. Um, so, so I think, you know, you, you're looking at Liverpool. Yes, they are back to their best uh, and City will be there. You know, yes, do they miss a, a number nine, a, an out and out right uh, striker like a Kane? Potentially they could get that in, in January, but they're still a fantastic team and they've got one of the best managers in the world. So, so 
you know, they're definitely breathing down Chelsea's neck. And, uh, you know, we, we, we've seen with Chelsea as well, they're, they're not looking unbeatable. You know, they've struggled a little bit, even though, you know, the weekend, you know, they managed to, to get it over the line at the end, but but it wasn't uh, super impressive. Mm. Dave, can I just ask the two boys, we've got two world-class goalkeepers on, and I, I want to just pick their brains on two of the goals in this game that I was just blown away by. One of them was Mo Salah. I think it was the individual brilliance he showed before he got that finish away with his weaker foot and made Edison look, you know, like he almost like he covered everywhere, but he found a way. And Phil Foden, the angle behind the goal for that finish in the bottom corner, was was it just the high class of finishing boys as goalkeepers or could they have done anything anything different? More so on the Phil Foden one, I want to know. Yeah, you know, from 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 my perspective, uh, you know, it's 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 tough. But when when you actually, you know, he hits it with pace, uh, and it's right in the bottom corner, and and you're looking at the keeper. He's actually well balanced. It's not like he's sort of leaning towards the near post. Or I think it's just the sheer pace and precision of of the strike that that beats him. Same with with Mo Salas. Uh, you, you know, I think you can't really criticize the keepers for for being out of position or or flat-footed or, you know, wrong balance. Um, so, so from my point of view, it's just top quality. So at times you've just got to acknowledge that it's just too good of a, a shot that you, every, you, you've covered all your angles, everything, but it's just hit so sweetly. There's nothing you can do, yeah? Yeah, for my, in, in those two instances, I, I don't think you, you can put anything on, on the keeper. I don't know what, what Mark thinks. Um, I, th- I certainly think Mo Salah's one is pretty much unstoppable. I think the way the ball starts off when it loses his foot, um, hits the post and goes in, it was a bit, I, I, from what I remember, it was a bit closer than the Phil Foden one. Um, I, I think the Phil Foden one, the only thing I would say about Alisson was he didn't go for it. I think he kind of almost, it was like he was beaten the minute he left his foot, whereas Edison had a go, not that he was going to save it, but I don't know. I, I just felt that with Alisson, he just felt that, that was it. Either it's going to miss, or I'm I'm, I'm just not going to get it. Um, and it was slightly further away, so I was a little. I was just there was a little bit of oh okay that that that's that was surprising a little bit. But then it is a quality finish, and it's it's a it's a, it is like, like Thomas saying right in the bottom corner. Um, but it was just the angle, and it was a little bit further out than the Mosella one. I thought. Okay, now we spoke a couple of weeks ago in depth. We got some great insight from Schwartzy about Mosella at the start of his career in the Premier League at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Now it's getting to a point after that ridiculous goal at Anfield that it's been posed, well, actually, why aren't we putting this guy up? In, and Jurgen Klopp started this conversation after the game, talking about if, if Ronaldo or Messi did this, we'd say it's because they're world-class. Bridgie, can you name me, and, and, and then and to the, you boys after that, can you name me a better player on the planet right now, form-wise, than Mohamed Salah? Form-wise, if we're talking about goals, Lewandowski, without a shadow of a doubt, he, you know, he scores goals at will. For the consistency of playing in the best league in the world and what Mo Salah has done at Liverpool on a consistent basis, for me, he's got to be talked about as one of the best in the world at this moment in time. Messi has gone, obviously, off the boil with all the stuff that's gone on at Barcelona. He's gone to PSG. Um, and obviously hasn't set the world like Ronaldo has come come back to Manchester United and does what he does best. He scores goals. He's a, he's a showman. But, but Mo Salah, he's got he's got to be up there, Dave. He's got to be talked about as one of the top three best players in the world at this moment in time, without a shadow of a doubt, because he's doing it against teams at the top of the Premier League. He's doing it against teams at the bottom, and he's doing it on a regular basis. And I really worry for Liverpool 
become the African Nations Cup or the African Cup of Nations. There you go. I've, I've middled that up. When they lose Mo Salah and they lose um, Mane, Mane, please, you cannot replace them two players. And if they do, all credit Jurgen Klopp in January. But without Mo Salah, the way he has led the line, Dave, I'm, I'm, I love watching him. He can go left or right. And you, you, what I love about players, when you know what they are capable of doing, uh, there was a guy um, years ago, Solarko, Swartil, will remember him, John Solarko. He was a winger. Um, Peter Bigger was another winger. They had, they had this trick. And you knew what was going to come and they could pull this trick off anywhere on the field at any moment in time and you could not stop it. Mo Salah has that ability to do that, but he's also got so much more in his in his locker that he you just don't know what he's going to do. Now that he's finishing and he's scoring that amount of goals regularly, it's, I, I've, I've got to put him up there in the top three without a shadow of a doubt. Anyone disagree? No, no, I think, you know, definitely with... with um... You know the you know Ronaldo and Messi moving. I think it, it stirred that whole uh, conversation up. You know, it's uh, it's not as straightforward as it was maybe two years ago, where those were the only two players in in the conversation. Um, um, so you know, I agree with you. I think um, you know there's there's not a lot of players who can to, who has that X factor and, and has that you know uh, match winning ability at the moment he's definitely and you look at his record it talks for himself so liverpool have a big big decision to make if they're going to break that wage structure that they've they got have. to break the wage structure tommy they've got to it's yeah, irreplaceable it's a big question because you know you, you know i've been uh, i was at, at aston villa when martin o'neill took over and and we were in a sort of a you know at that time 20 to 40 you know thousand pounds a week and and he started then handing out contracts in the 50 to the hundreds and and then it, it, it created a lot of you know it created a lot of tension a lot of financial problem down the line as well uh, that suddenly then you lift the bottom up everyone that then you know ne- negotiates new contracts i know five of them the big players have have got new contracts in the summer so they're they're sort of tied up at liverpool for, for a while but it, it is a big decision financially for a club to make you know so because we're, talk, we're talking double up now, so if talking, they do not sign Mo Salah, they've got to go and spend a hundred million plus plus a contract on top of that. You yeah, but they got, he's, he's irreplaceable. Yeah, but they got him for two more years, Bridget. It's not like his contract runs out this summer. You I know, would so, tie. I would tie him down. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I get, but you know, it, it's still a big decision because they're looking at it from a, you know, they're looking at it from not just a, we're looking from a football perspective. They're looking at it. As a financial well, you know, now now we know well. how much money you were getting at your club when and how you were able to buy all these properties in Melbourne. You just give your wage away. You were one of the ones that caused all this unrest. <laughs> they reckon no, there's another discussion. <laughs> uh, they reckon seventy-two million over four years, seventy-two million pounds. What is the um, the wage structure ceiling explosion that will have to happen at Liverpool for them to keep Salah? Um, it's interesting insight that Tommy gave as well because this is something that the wage structure isn't just about the finances for the club. How much has this become a dressing room consideration as well as the obvious Jurgen Klopp tactical asset as well? Yeah, I think it, that's always an interesting element to it. Um, <clears throat> as a player, when I was playing, I, I was kind of, I suppose it's different. If it's a direct player in your competition and they're on a lot, lot more. You find out they're on a lot, lot more money than you are. Then, then obviously it becomes a bit of an issue. But I mean, yeah, I mean, say for example, Virgil Van Dyke and Mo Salah. Virgil Van Dyke obviously arguably is one of the best centre halves in the world, and Mo Salah is one of the best strikers in the world. And 
are you able to compare like for like? Certainly when it comes down to a financial package, I don't think you normally can. Um, So for a player, it's more about you've got to be happy with what you've done, what you've signed for, what you've, what you're earning. And a lot of these guys, like, like, you know, Thomas was saying there, quite a few players have re-signed. Liverpool are very, very strategic and very conscious of their structure, financial um, packages, and it is an interesting time. I mean, he's thir- is he 30 um, or he's close to 30 now, Mo? Uh, um, yeah, two years left. Do you tie him down for three or four years on double that amount of money? I mean, that, I think, listen, it, it's madness to think, I think it's a gamble, really. He's a phenomenal player. And like Tom was saying, he's got two years left in his contract. If Liverpool really want to, they can hold on to him. If not, they can still bargain to get as much money as they possibly can. They bought him for, what, 30-odd million, right? So they may fancy themselves to go and try and find someone at a lesser amount of money. Ah, I don't know. It's a hard one. It really, I think there's pros and cons for both of them. I think to say, give him the deal, give him what he wants, keep him. But there's no guarantees that he's going to keep scoring. Aubameyang is a great example at Arsenal. Um, you know, so I don't know. I think there's a great argument for both so if you're to, to if keep you're him as fan, it is. So if you're a Liverpool fan, so if there's two more years left, which means you're probably looking to sell in a year, how would you feel as a Liverpool fan having watched that goal, knowing that potentially, yeah, you make a lot of money in a year, but you lose this, this, you know, this icon? Wait until yeah. after the African Nations Cup when Liverpool have a stumble over Christmas and they're not in the title contention anymore when they lose Mo Salah. He will be signed a contract when he returns because they know how yeah, invaluable well he is. Yeah, it could well be. That could well be the case. And, and like I said, there's an argument for both to say, give him what he wants. And then there's another argument to say, is he at that level now where you would sell him, get the most amount of money for him? Um, whatever you receive, it does, does that is that a better deal than keeping hold of him and what could he help you accomplish him staying at the club? Or has he already done what he can? Have Liverpool Premier League title, winning the Champions League, is that it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's an argument for both to say keep him, give him what he wants or sell him for the for the highest bidder. And he's already he's already talked about potentially wanting to leave um, you go, over dude. the last that's, couple of seasons. There's your Twitter optus. To the to the punters out there, right, the should miss, no, but, should Mo stay or should Mo go? But I think an, an important thing to add as well is that you know they got American owners and and you know they tend to be very sort of analytic driven. Uh, you know, you know it, it, it. You know, fans they have emotions. You know that's why if you put it out to a fan vote, you know that they'll only it'll be a hundred percent for Salah to resign. But I think you you got to understand that they find they they'll financially look at it at a different way potentially uh, and i think that's where you know mark's argument that you know you it's a 50 50 you know you, you could argue both ways i think it's you run the risk one, of losing them for nothing as well sorry dave well you, no, you if, can't do that well more could then go you know what it is if they haven't given us a new deal and they want to see us out well i'll see out my under the deal as well yeah. then that would, that's, yeah, that's a bit different isn't it he's 32 then by the time his deal runs out and it, and it is different to, well, to so you're sit saying he's go, done right. then you're saying he's over no I'm not, I'm not i'm not saying he's done but it's different it's two years down the line that's a long long way down the line really you know what it's like in football terms how th- how things can change really really quickly from year to year so i mean that's a gamble on both sides and, and like we said, that that's another element of the argument. The argument is he, he runs on his contract and and walks out for free, and then Liverpool may go, you know what? He, 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 in a lot of ways, he has to keep doing what he's doing, certainly for another year, 
to guarantee whatever other deal he gets beyond that. Because at 32, are there going to be a lot of clubs going to give him that three, four, five-year, whatever it is, on the money that he wants in two years' time? You know, that, that's that's the pokering that everyone does. Mm. It's interesting because with Klopp's discussion about him being in that best in the world category, you ask, you sort of wonder, does that put him in a sort of a, a transcendent space where you don't sit there and think, is he worth it? Should we make money? He's worth this much to the club in an intangible, intangible way that you just have to lock him down. And then you turn around and you went, but Ronaldo and Messi just moved. So there's no such thing as a certainty anymore in football as well. So you, can't, you don't even have players that are you know, beyond the club anymore. Well, Messi had to leave, didn't he? I mean, Messi had to leave because of the financial problems that were created at the club. And and part of the argument or people had kind of directed a finger at is that the fact that Messi was on so much money that that led also or helped lead them to the position on the mess that they're in. Not, not I mean, certainly it was hugely badly mismanaged. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Ronaldo, again, 35, what is it, 36, change a manager again, different circumstances. I, I don't think you can compare the two uh, or, or either of them, the three at the moment. What we can do is we can talk about it. And I think we will for a little bit longer. And that is for sure. Whatever it is, whatever happens, you can sit back and enjoy Mo Salah's goal on the weekend. It was an absolute masterpiece. Uh, he's in phenomenal form. And for a potential one season wonder all those years ago, he is kicking on and on and on to Liverpool. It's goal benefit. of the month. It's already goal of the month. I'm giving it goal of the month already for the next month. Well, he's it's won a, a push gush. phenomenal goal. He's won a push gush. You could almost argue it was almost better than the goal that won the push gush. Yeah, no, it was a phenomenal goal. It's up there probably, I mean, one of the best goals I've seen him score. Um, yeah. I don't know what you guys think. Don't like yeah. agreeing with you, but I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and on that stage, it always takes it up a notch too. When it's on when, in a game at that stakes and that level, it's, it's absolutely sensational. So plenty to talk about at, at Manchester City and Liverpool. And you sense two teams we will continue to talk about as the season goes on, as the title race develops. Liverpool are well and truly back. City still got a few things to solve. It's still so phenomenal and so impressive. From one end of the spectrum to the other, guys, uh, as we record on Tuesday morning, Claudio Ranieri looks all but set to become the manager at Watford. What a poison chalice that is as he follows Cisco Munoz into the hot seat, uh, working for the Pozo family who've now gone through 13 permanent managers since 2012. The bizarre thing about it is, you know, Watford aren't saying the world a lot, but they've got seven points. They're not in the relegation zone. They're going okay. Um, so certainly Cisco Munoz was not expecting it, but I, I say he wasn't expecting it. Um, I don't think any of us are utterly surprised that Watford have sacked, become the first club to sack a manager. <laughs> Anyone surprised? Go on then, Swartzy. Take the limelight. The floor the is all yours. Swartzy, come on. Here we go. What, even before it got saying, announced, guys? even before it got announced, it was on the WhatsApp group. Swartzy going, I told you so. <laughs> I was a certain. That was like that was like a you know a gimme. That was a gimme tip. That was that was a gimme. Yeah, it was a gimme. Like it was always going to happen. Um, just because of the way the nature of Watford and Claudio Ranieri taking over, I, I, I'll tell you now, uh, he'll be sacked before the end of the season. By the end of the season or the end of the year? Well, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a good argument for either. I'm telling you now. It's incredible. I'm telling you now. Yeah, and, and you're not. We're not laughing. We're why, laughing why about it, it, but it's why, genuine. Why that, uh... I, I just, I don't think, um, I don't think he's going to be able to do. I don't think he's the manager that everyone, well, he certainly, 
he is the tinker man. He's someone that I don't think um, has it to keep a team in the Premier League. You know, listen, what happened at Leicester was a perfect scenario. And I've said it before, he, he identified a situation. I think he went with it to begin with. He was told to or allow the, the assistant manager and all the coaching staff around him, the existing staff to, to run or to, to run it for, for, for the time being. And Ranieri just took over as the head figure and, and allowed it to, to play out. And the way that momentum gathered, um, he was able to just go with it and allow it to, to, to play out. He didn't change much. The little bits and pieces at training, but nothing major. Set plays. Was it Shakespeare that took most of it, Swartzy? Everything was done by Craig Shakespeare and and uh, and uh, Mike Stahl did the set play, set pieces with Craig Shakespeare together. Claudio Ranieri did very little. What he did incredibly well was manage the press, manage the whole show. He managed the expectation from outside. He took, you know, he played this game with everyone. And he did that. He was charismatic. He had everyone on board and um, he did that very, very well. So once he then took over and took full reign of it and took control and then started to bring in players and start to swap and change with players, it came unstuck very, very quickly. At Fulham was very much the same. Um, Day-to-day running of it, the training sessions just wasn't enough to keep them in the league. And I don't see it working at Watford either. Yeah, but when you look at recent history, so you look at what he did at Roma, he came in, they were in turmoil, he got them back on track, and he, he did the same at Sampdoria. So, you know, you've obviously seen it from the inside. You know, again, I had a similar situation with, with Martin O'Neill, and, and he was the same. He, he, you know, he had people to do things. He didn't do much in training, uh, but he, he managed everything on the outside. And, and it, it does, it can work. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm surprised that you're saying it, it won't work. At Watford, I don't there. think it will work. Listen, you're right. At Roma, Sampdoria, it worked for him. And then they talk about, and the press, all the media is now about how he's, how he's sort of kind of, uh, um, uh, what was the the terminology? He, he's he's changed his method. He's um, he's someone that he's kind of uh, rediscovered himself or, or created a new identity, so to speak. So maybe that is the case. Maybe you'll come back as a different person, different manager. Listen, what- when a club goes through what Watford have gone through, the amount of managers Avelina has just explained to us there, there's a lot of underlying problems there as a as a flag for me anyway. Mm. We know Harry, yeah. speaking to Harry Q when he was there doing the under-23s and he was saying that there was no link between the first team. I can't think who the manager was at the time at Watford when Harry was there. Oh, fair. That's seven managers ago. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's frightening. Boris, maybe. And it was... Um, he was basically saying, like, you do whatever you need to do, Harry. I've just got to win the first team matches. My job is on the line. So there was no kind of club cohesion. And I think that has continued on through all the managers. The players were coming and going on new tactics and styles. I look at a Leicester City. I'm going to use Swartz's old team as an example. When they got promoted and they got the money, they were looking to build a club for the future. The new training ground now shows that the stadium and how they've continued to evolve and develop as a club to become a stable Premier League football club. There's clubs that still do not have this kind of vision. And Watford is one of them. Watford is about instant success. Managers come and go. There's, there's no long-term future that I see. I don't see the inner sanctum, but from what they show and what they are perceived as, I think it's a... I'm, I'm not going to say it. No, I'm going to. I'm going to say I think it's a joke that they are not having that bigger 
insight into what they are doing. I agree with Swartzy. Will Ranieri be there at the end of the season? No, because history suggests that. Watford do this. They have different models. Everyone has a different model, don't they? And the way that but if it's they not working, you've got to work. change. Yeah, yeah, but over the over the years, it has worked for them. You know, it's a bit like, you know, for example, Norwich have their model, bringing players through the academy. They get relegated. They they win the the, the championship or get came, come second, get automatic promotion, and off they go again. They 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 take in the money. They reinvest in the academy. They sell the odd player here and there, make a lot of money. They know that they're going to be that yo-yo club. Watford were able to establish themselves in the Premier League for a number of seasons in a row. And, and on they did the nothing about of, it. They didn't well, what they did was on they, a Swartzy. No, but what they continuously did was they continued along the same model. So they tried to bring in these, 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 these cheap buys, these players that were maybe struggled at other clubs would maybe kind of gel together and they'll be either, either to, to progress and stay in the league or they would sell them on. And obviously they came, on, <clears throat> came unstuck and got relegated. And their method of changing managers had worked up until the last relegation. But you know what I mean? So I, I get what they're doing. I don't agree with it, but I understand what they're trying to do because, because over time it has actually been relatively successful yeah. for them. Well, we all know as players, when you get a manager, the roundabout comes and goes and you're kind yeah. of going, I had I experienced after David O'Leary, the, you know, had Peter Reid at, at Sunderland. We had a long-term um, success under Peter Reid. I had David O'Leary for numerous years. We had success. And when, when O'Leary went, it was my first ever insight as to, oh my God, right, here's he he another manager. Here's Terry Venables. He's gone. Here's Peter Reid. Oh, now we've got Kevin Blackwell. We've got Eddie Gray. And everybody had a different tactic. Everybody had a different style. And we just became like disorientated. It was horrible. So if we, if we as players felt like, we weren't enjoying our surroundings or we didn't understand what was going on. You, you're not going to perform. And I see that the difference, again. The difference was at Leeds though, you had times of stability. So the instability was almost overnight. So you had a period of there in time where you had chopping and change. At Watford, it's been, it's been changing all the time since the owners have been in charge of the club. Like Dave Winner was saying there, the amount of managers that they've had, Every player that goes there knows that they're yeah. going to be playing under a number of managers. So when you sign, you know you're taking a risk. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So you go with the full contest. To wrap that up, so is Ranieri's uh, move there uh, not going to work because Ranieri's going to Watford? Or do you think if Ranieri as a Premier League or an elite manager period is probably run its race? Uh, what um yeah absolutely i think i think all of the above i think all of the above it's i, a collective, I don't isn't think it? yeah i think it's a combination of all of the above it was it was like when he went to fulham um i i i knew it was never going to work um and I, I i don't see it i mean i think he's got a better chance at watford but only slightly so what you're getting there dave you're getting the insight from swartie that's worked with them and you're seeing myself and thomas corn hang on a minute this club's a bit of a Mm. A bit of a basket case when it comes, and that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, interesting. Mm. <laughs> it's got it's funny, great to follow. Up. <laughs> Who had Watford in their bottom three? I did. Uh, yeah. I think I did as well. Yep. Yeah. 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 Looking like a. That I haven't said that, Dave. Place. I had Brentford in there as well. Now that, that that's gone. Um, no, out I the had window. Brentford <laughs> staying up. Actually, I had them staying up, and and, and they they look like they're going to, oh, aren't they? They've been great to watch. To be fair, yeah, they've been brilliant. And I was, I, I had the, I hope Norwich have, have learnt their lessons and will stay up. And that looks like I've fallen flat on the face on that one. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's kick on and just chat briefly about Brighton because we've spoken about Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United uh, in recent weeks. Everton, we'll speak about them shortly. But Brighton, up on 14 points. It was only an, it was an ill-draw against Arsenal on the weekend. But I think what a lot of people have taken away from here was, you know, Miguel Arteta has had a lot of attention as an up-and-coming manager, um, being hailed as this and that and, and, you know, all his tactics and philosophy. But ultimately, Graham Potter is proving at the moment that he's been able to execute a plan step-by-step. Step, and this Brighton team is evolving and uh, in really good stead right now, Thomas, uh, and deserves a bit of kudos for their start to the season. I think so. I think uh, Potter has done a, a brilliant job, and I think you know to some extent it's a blueprint for what Arteta needs to, to do. You know, it's uh, you know put a plan in place uh, and then you know just execute it. Um, you know, get the players on board. You know, the, the energy they played with, the intensity, uh, and just getting the maximum out of players. You know, yes, they they sold Ben White, uh, you know, to Arsenal, uh, but they've closed that gap, and and then. Finding a, a a player like Cucurella at Getafe, who's who's you know is tremendous uh, on a left wing back, you know just a, just smart business as well. Uh, I still think they lack strikers. You know they've been a little bit more efficient this season. That I think we saw against Arsenal, you know that that is probably what they're lacking. Uh, you know just that finisher that can in those tight games can 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 put them away. But uh, you know you can just sense the electricity as well. I think they had the biggest crowd as well uh, in, a, in a long while. So, you know, there, there's good things going on at Brighton and Potter is, is the man behind it. it it's, it's only early days. We're, we're, seven, we're seven games in. So there's always this early season flash in the pan. Then you look back and go, geez, we talked about that a lot. But Bridgie, is this one of those stories that you can see that they can stick around and aim for mid-table or perhaps even, you know, we've now got the incentive of this conference league. Can they, can they uh, sustain this through the season? You'd like to think so, and why not? You've got to set your um, your goals high, and I think Potter is a fantastic manager and coach from what I've witnessed on the outer because the way that they've always seemed to just have a bit of progression throughout the season. I still question the number nine. You know, is Mapai going to be the guy that's getting them the goals? But what I what I love about them is the way that he has them organised. You know, with Duffy Dunk at the back, a bit was burned this weekend. We we we've heard Tommy say that. Um, they lost Ben White to, to um, Arsenal. He was playing against them. Um, just Potter has this, they're so defensively organised and they have a game plan from that. Now, they don't concede many goals, Dave. And when you don't concede many goals, as Mourinho has shown in the past when he was at the peak of his career, you're going to get results and you're going to get you're going to get um, points on the board. And that is what they're doing. Are they exciting to watch, however? Moments, Yes. Could I go and watch them every week? No. I, as a fan, are you going to be excited about going to watch them? Yes, because they're getting results and they're playing some, you know, they're, they're, they're getting points. Go on, Swartz. You're looking very, very curiously there. 
Are, are they on your list alongside um, Burnley? Or? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, these, are are a, right, these are in a different category of Burnley altogether. This is a team that I do admire. <laughs> and any team but that Jules Breach supports, I'm going to give them a go. No, I'm, it's a lot better of an area. It's a lot better stadium. Oh, so you're a fair weather man. So that's I'm what you want. Because you've got a bit of nice weather. So you'd rather go down to Brighton because it's better weather. And a stadium and a north. club that wants to get better and develop and evolve. Now, is it the... There was a big decision made, and I, I'm sorry for not remembering the guy's name. He used to work with the FA, I do believe, and came into to Brighton. I don't know whether he's coming as the uh, chairman or the chief exec or something. And he gave an unbelievable speech before Brighton's home game. And I can't be that good. You can't remember the guy's name. I know. I know. I'm, I'm. Yeah. Not. Not good at all. And I was blown away by what he had to say. And he said, we have a vision of a club. We know what we want. Graham Potter is part of this. And we want Graham for his playing style and his philosophy that he showcased to us. And that's why we're going to back him. And it's just yeah. seemed to have gone on to bigger and better things ever since then as well. So they've got structure behind them. And Brighton, Brighton are going to get results, Dave. And a mid-table finish is the, the way they'll finish for me. See, I, I, I think you're harsh on Burnley again, mate. Because they've got, they've got the ginger Mourinho, who's done absolute wonder, wonders for them, right? They've, they're, their philosophy is that hardworking, working-class environment, they fit. They, the team fits their environment, and they've done a remarkable job being in the Premier League. It's like watching Wimbledon all them years ago. I, I can't stand it. don't like it. I've told you, if he was playing in my back garden now, I would pull the blinds down. Did you see um, Sean Dyche rinse a couple of journalists a couple of weeks ago over Zoom? No. So ask me a question, Bridget. Just, just, say, just say, you know, anything. Dave Wiener, your eyebrows are looking fantastic this morning. What? But that's a statement. That's not a question. It's and so, so what product do you use on your eyebrows, Dave, to make them so bushy? What? And the poor journalist asked the same question three times, and he just goes, you guys are so easy to take the piss out of. There's nothing wrong with the Zoom. I've just asked what three times back to your question. Is that what he was giving it? Yeah. And he just and, and the poor journalist was just battling, going, oh, come on, in Zoom age, just, you know, the internet might break down, da-da-da. And yeah, he was see, just... It was just a little power thing just I to love show him. that he was still in charge. I love him as, with his charismatic approach and when he does that. He's done several things like that throughout the season. And I remember one, he went off on a tangent somewhere for about five minutes um, about drinking beers and things. I, I, I love him for that. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing Burnley an injustice, Swarty. It's becoming a... Um, I agree. I, I agree. Become, you are becoming a bit of a witch hunt. Yeah, by yep. the way, those, those questions, by the way, are a bit of a witch hunt. We'll let those go through to the keeper just quietly. Well, what product do you use on them? Oh, there's none. There's none strong enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on quickly to um, Schwartzy, Patrick Vieira. Um, there were doubts about him before the season. Solid from them. Two 0 comeback against Leicester. Um, which way do you take this match? Is it a, is it a discussion about um, how he has picked up from what Roy Hodgson left with in terms of needing to rebuild the squad, inject some youth, or is it Leicester a curious start to the season for them? Um. I, I first of all say, actually, I had Crystal Palace being in the team that may get relegated. So I had him in my bottom three. So I had serious doubts about, about Patrick Vieira taking over as manager. Um, so far, seven games in, certainly, you know, style of football, um, fight, determination. I mean, Palace have always had that fight and that determination. I, I think they're certainly playing slightly better football, um, more attractive football, which you'd expect from someone like Patrick Vieira. Um, is it going to be enough? Only time will tell. The performance against Leicester obviously showed fight, togetherness. Um, obviously, the manager, uh, players believing still in the manager, 100%. Uh, 
um, Leicester wobble and they're, they're, they're having a hard time. They've had some bad results recently. They, they, were, they, they struggled away in Europe again. Um, there, it, there, is a, there is a bit of a blip at the moment and there are Leicester, the Leicester, um, local Leicester fans are a little bit annoyed and there are some booing going on for Brendan Rodgers. So mm-hmm. interesting times for, for Leicester at the moment. Interesting. With uh, do you play Vardy and Inacha now, Bridget? You just do it. Um, it hasn't I know that's got a tactical knock on to the rest of the team, and they've got a lot of classy players in there that they need to get in and get the balance right. But Inacha looks like a player that's that's it's a difficult call to leave him out because he, when he plays at the moment, well, the last eighteen months he's done well. Every time he's been called upon, what you can see, he's reliable. Um, and he's not one of these bad eggs that's been kicking up a stink when he had that great run of form and Vardy was out scoring goals, but obviously Vardy is the main man. I've got no problem seeing them two play together because they're both goal scorers and they both work incredibly hard off the ball. Um, there's, you've got to under Rodgers. And yeah, I'm not going to change their system or what Rodgers is all about because they're, they're two very, very good strikers and they've shown their worth again in scoring the goals. And I, I, I just thought the way... You know, Crystal Palace allowed that to happen. You can see that Vieira is still trying to get his style across, and at moments they're going to have their little blips. Um, and Leicester capitalised on that, and Ian Acho was the man that, that did that. So I mean, if there's if there's two strikers in the park for a team, um, that's all good with me. Yeah, Palace gave him the first goal, didn't they? I mean, you'd argue and say it was the pressing of, of Leicester, but it was you know Yoki Anderson making a big mistake allows um, Ian Acho through. But you know what? You're right. And, and the, with playing the two of them, I mean, you look at Jamie Vardy, second on the list at the moment after seven games, the amount of goals he's scored in the Premier League, still showing that he can score goals. There's no doubt about it. Um, <clears throat> Ian Acho. The only thing about Leicester is that they're so used to playing a certain way and, and feeding that, that one up top. And I think it's still going to take a bit of time to adjust. Um, they've got quality players all over the park. But again, I think it's just taking a little bit of extra time for it to 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 work for playing the two up front. Two all, two up front, two all uh, in that game. Thomas Tottenham two, Aston Villa one with Matt Target's own goal. The difference after Hoiberg put Tottenham ahead, and then Ollie Watkins equalised for Aston Villa. Um, before we move on, just overall, Hoiberg, he he's he had it. We know he had an incredible Euros. And then he's been bundled into this Tottenham midfield of two pedestrian, two cumbersome. Um, he scored a great goal on the weekend. We, we saw during the Euros a different side of him, but we don't see much of that at Spurs, do we? No, I think it depends on, on the tactics. Uh, you know, he's, he's very versatile. He showed that in the Danish team as well, because in the past, uh, before Ullmann took over, you know, there was different demands on him there. He was playing a lot more like the Tottenham way, sitting back. Uh, but he's got great qualities. We saw some of the passes uh, he produced during the Euros. We saw the goal. Um, so he is a box-to-box player and, and is a little bit like a Swiss army knife. Uh, and I think uh, Nuno is now sort of potentially finding out where he can uh, where he can get the best out of him. And I think, you know, with him, you know, charging into the box at times. I think uh, he'll get goals as well. So if you get the balance right, he can get more out of him. You like that uh, one, Bridgie? That's the best analysis of a footballer I have ever come across. A Swiss army knife. I used to have, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I used to love Swiss army knife when I went camping because they are the best tool you can ever have. So I, I agree with Tommy. That, that's just brilliant. You've got tears in my eyes. There. That's quality. 
Did you have oh, tears in your you. eyes on the weekend, Bridgie? <laughs> no, because we won. <laughs> a Swiss Army knife. That'll stay with me. I like that. I might drop that one down. That, that, that's one to add to the, uh, to, to the Match Report uh, kit bag. Very versatile. Very nice. Very nice. Um, Son. Son's becoming Tottenham's main man now, isn't he, Bridgie? What, what's, what's the verdict what, there? What do you mean he's becoming Tottenham's main man? He's been Tottenham's main man for a long time. He is Mr. Well, they, Mr. Yeah. Reliable when yeah. Harry Kane is not there. Where are the goal's going to come from? Son. Put him up top. What does he do? He scores goals. When you play him out wide, what does he do? He scores goals. He's just absolutely fantastic. And I think with without Son, um, the dynamics do not flow with, with Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Tommy's just said, I, I, I'm a big fan of Hoiberg because he breaks down defences. Um, sorry, breaks down opposition attacks with his defensive work and he's shown he can go forward. And, and Sonny has that. He can defend when he needs to. He's got an engine. He can score world-class goals. He can score the crappy goals. And he, he's, he is just fantastic. So are Tottenham the same? No, the dynamics are not the same without Son. I also think one of the most underrated players at Tottenham is Lucas Moura. I think he's a, he's, a, he's a really good player. And whenever he plays, he's exciting. He's quick. Scored a lot of important goals for Spurs, but always tends to be that bit part player. But under Nuno at the moment, he seems like he, he's got a starting berth on the side. And, and, and I think for, for Tottenham, he is important to, to start. He just adds an extra pace. And you talk about work rate from Son. On the other side, you've got more doing exactly the same. It seems to suit that if Nuno wants to do what he wants to do, that mobility seems to be a and an energy and work rate seems to be a key attribute that he looks for and plays in that front third. Key results from the weekend as we wrap up and head into the international break. Chelsea 3-1 over Southampton. Uh, Bridges team Burnley with another cracking nil-all draw against Norwich. But an important point for both managers there. Wolves 2 against Newcastle 1. The result that got Watford another managerial sacking. They lost 1-0 to Leeds where there's also Brentford. They keep going on 2-1. At West Ham, another fantastic result for them heading into the international break. I've deliberately omitted Manchester United's result because we'll talk about that in one moment. But heading into this break, guys, uh, what is the what is the headline takeaway for you for each of you? It can be a good one or a bad one, but what's stewing as we go into the break? I'm not stewing. I'm just going to say Mo Salah's magic. That is going to stick with me for a long time. That goal, Tommy. No, I think just exciting this title race. Like we talked about it before the season started, and it's more alive now than uh, than ever. I think you know this game confirmed it. Uh, you know the Liverpool Man City game is that uh, we got uh, four top teams, and they're going to fight it out to the end. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think the Man City Liverpool game or Liverpool Man City game need for, for me was one that that, I, that confirmed that they're in the race because I always thought that they're going to be in the race and they will be. I think what is more interesting is the other side of it, what's happening in Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and how the pressure is mounting now. And Ronaldo adding that extra element of going, storming off, supposedly storming off down the, down the tunnel, shaking his head and muttering um, away and leaving him on the bench. And there seems to be now uh, the fans losing a bit more patience with him. Well, the board, the board of directors, and everybody behind the scenes seem don't seem to be because I think Mike Phelan has just announced that he has signed a new contract for another two or three seasons. So that's the yeah, yeah, big big backing from behind the scenes, and that's all his go to man at this moment in time. Well, I want to ask you in a moment. I want to ask you about Andros Townsend's celebration, but before we do that, well, let, let let's finish off this United chat. It feels like 
I, I reckon our season preview to last season, we are talking about the same thing, Schwartz, about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So we're talking almost 18 months. And I know you guys went in detail about it with Claude's last week as well on Manchester United. But this weekend seemed to be one that just triggered even some of the former teammates of Solskjaer to, to start to say, okay, you know, you've made the big selection call on the bench. You're resting one out of before an international break. You know, what is, and, and I think why this is such a big issue now is their, their fixtures coming up. They've got everyone in the next six weeks. They've got City. They've got Liverpool. They've got Tottenham. They've got Atalanta in the Champions League. There's no time to sort it out now. This is it. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like you're saying, international break, you're resting him. I don't understand it. You're playing against Everton side that you're not quite sure what you're going to get because they've been a little bit hit and miss this season. However, they pose a big threat. Andros Townsend has been excellent for them. Um, and, and that's always going to be a threat for you. And I think it was madness to leave him on the bench. Obviously, hindsight's a wonderful thing, an easy thing to do. But I think he just opens himself up massively for criticism. Also, with someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, you need to work with him. You need to speak to him, talk to him and go, okay, how are you feeling? What's happening? Are you right to play? If we're up 2-0 with 10 minutes, 20 minutes to go, I'm going to take you off. I mean, I don't get it. I, I think it's Oli trying to be a little bit clever as well. And it's, it's obviously backfired massively. The consequence of that, Bridgie, is like we know what all United's problems are. We've we've talked about them at length for weeks, and you know Fred can see Fred's role in the goal that Everton scored. Um, you couldn't have a more symbolic moment than that, and, and nor could you for Everton because the three players involved, Gray, Decore, and Townsend, have been their three best players. So that was fantastic for them as well. But Fred's involvement of that lack of incision in the final third, even Solskjaer said that after the game as well. But they can't get these combinations right either up top. So when do you pick and stick if you are? Because the other thing is, if you leave those guys on the bench, then a, 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 a bloke oh, like Jesse Lingard, good, yeah, I was going to say good luck really with that well, when you when you, you get bring un- him on when you get unrest in the dressing room <laughs> and you're leaving big players out like that. That's when you've got to come into your own as a manager and as a man manager. You build relationship with these players, and I think we all witnessed that with Frank Lampard when you leave players on the outer, Rudiger, Alonso, mm. uh, and you know, they're three key figures. And the first thing that Tuchel did, he recognised the quality, how influential they were in the dressing room. And he is able to deal with them egos. I still think Oli has a lot to learn in that department. Has he got the characteristics and the charismatic approach to be able to handle that? I don't think he has because I think Roy Keane has said it on several occasions, how he just blows up at everything. But if he had a, you know, a, a manager to let Fred do what he did and get away with it, um, and I was, I, th- I also blame Shaw. I, I watched Shaw for that goal as well. Um, he came firing in from the right hand side into the middle. And if you're going to do that, you've got to slow the player down. He just ran in front of the players, um, and left his player on the far side. He, he didn't even make a tackle. So there was a lot at fault for United. And I think, um, I've got a lot of friends who are Manchester United fans. And I think if you ask them, would they have a change in the manager? I think they would, they would accept it and have a go, mate. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't think. I don't think Ollie's the man. By the way, I'll go to the other side. Damari Gray, how how great was he for the goal? He made that goal, by the way. He was absolutely outstanding. And I said before when he went there, I wasn't quite sure he was gonna he was gonna do it because the inconsistency and he wasn't really given an opportunity at Leicester. And then when he was, it kind of didn't work out. So the strength so and far, determination, Swartzy, oh, he showed in that moment to win brilliant. that ball and just embarrassed the hell out of Fred, who's meant to be your yeah. defensive yeah. midfielder. Pathetic. And he's been brilliant since he's been in Everton. So hold my hand up. He's been absolutely outstanding. Um, 
probably, I don't know. I mean, from what I've seen, I would say he's probably been their best player so far. I mean, Andros Townsend very close behind, but I, I think Damari Gray's been right up there with being their best player. Well, well it's pound like they've pound. said, the three players involved in that yeah. goal have been the three standouts for them. Um, the, only, yeah. the only player I've been very disappointed with is Rondon. I still, he gives me hope to make a comeback. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. More, oh, more, more than, um, <laughs> Richard, more than uh, what's realistic. his name? <laughs> From Newcastle, um, oh, Joel Linton. Linton. Oh, more than Joel Linton. Linton. No, 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 Joel Linton gives me hope six yards out, right? Because he, <laughs> he could not hit the goal. He's got pace. However, Rondon, yeah. I reckon, would score from six yards out, but he can't get there because he hasn't got the pace. So I think there's there's moments where I look at their games and I analyze them and think, that's got a chance here, man. Well, you've got to say, Rafa's gone for Rondon, who, who he absolutely loves. But you think that Donny van der Beek costs £35 million and Gray and Townsend between them cost £1.7 million. Uh, Rafa's done his business frugally and well so far, and it is working. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're on the same points as United. And, look, to wrap it up, Tommy, when do we stop talking about this? Is Ole going to get it right in this run of fixtures? I've got, I'll pull it up here for you. It's Leicester, Atalanta, Liverpool, Tottenham, Atalanta, Manchester City. Whoa, that, that yeah, is a run. That is yeah, a run of fixtures. No, when yeah, does this come no, to a head? Yeah, no, no. Or does he fix place. it? You know, again, I think, you know, Swartz said it, like the, the, the pressure is going to mount. Uh, you know, every small thing is going to be, uh, you know, magnified. You know, we, we, we don't know what happened with Ronaldo if, if he was just... Uh, you know, discussed with the result or if it actually was uh, that he had been on the bench and not played from the start. If that's the issue, then I start questioning the manager because, um, you know, Bridget mentioned it, you, you know, Ronaldo, you need to have him on his side. He, he's he's a, a leader in the dressing room. You need to have those conversations. And I think tactically as well, how, how many times now have they been caught out on a break? We saw it against Villa last week, you know, five, six times. They, you know, Villa could have uh, run away completely. in I, Europe. I think it was mm. Demba Ball they left all alone on the halfway line once. Uh, but that was, yeah, last year. Um, still still under Raleigh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so it, it seems to be a, a, a problem because, you know, again, I think they in in, in a lot of phases, they, they look good. Yeah, you know, they, they look exciting up front. I think, you know, again, yeah, uh, they might not have the combination right, but I think defensively transition is the big issue. Uh, and that's where they're lacking a, a, a holding midfielder of, of, of higher pedigree than, uh, than Fred. Um, you know, so they've got some issues and he needs to sort it out. You know, he's been given plenty of time. He spent a lot of money and he still mm. hasn't sorted it out. So, yeah, magnifying glasses out. Does this run, so, I mean, you look at the, that struggled against young boys, Villarreal as well. Does this run where they don't have to necessarily set the tempo in a lot of these games, does this potentially work in their favor because it can come down to individual moments on the break time? Or is there something, is that even, is that just not good enough an excuse anymore? They've got to have evolved to be able to deal with different circumstances. No, you have it. You see what, you know, that's what good managers does. That's a world-class managers. You know, you, 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 we talked about it earlier. We talked about Klopp and what he did at halftime you know, how he adjusted things and, and uh, got it back on track. Um, and you can't just be a one-trick pony. And, and I think at the moment, you know, United feel a little bit like that. Uh, they, they seem to, week in, week out, get caught out by the same thing. Um, uh, and that falls back to, to, to a manager having to adjust things. And, and um, yeah, uh, he needs to man-manage. And then, and then also, uh, he needs to also evolve as, as a tactician. And I think Ola is, is lacking a little bit there.
I see a style in play at Manchester City. I see a philosophy of a manager in Manchester City. We know what Pep is. I see it with Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. I still see off-the-cuff moments from Manchester United. I don't see their patterns of play, as we say. Um, like, and you, you are waiting for moments of individual brilliance. I think that's the difference when you're talking about them three managers and you've got Oli in there. Now, whether that comes with experience and more time as a manager or whether he just does not have it um, in the capabilities, but he definitely doesn't have it to compete with these three. Even Burnley have a style of play, don't they, Bridgie? They certainly do, Swarty. That's plain to see. <laughs> they definitely have one. Now, it was Townsend that got them on the weekend. How good was his celebration? Mind you, he has a bit of work to do to get the elevation that Ronaldo does get. What was the most what was the most satisfying well, I mean for the for the keepers here, we might you might not have done the celebration yourself, but you might have seen a teammate do it. But um it was such a good celebration. It was really nice what he said afterward that, you know, I, I grew up watching him, imitating him, learning his, studying his videos, um, trying to do that. So it felt a bit like going back to your, your hero's backyard and, and, and making a point there. So that was a really nice story. But in terms of uh, f- flashbacks to your time, can you remember a, a jersey swap that was similarly uh, poignant for yourselves or a celebration that, um, you know, had, had a nice backstory to it like that? You know, I, I can, from, from my point of view, uh, you know, it took me a fair while into my career, but uh, when I finally swapped shirts with, with Peter Smeichel, um, I think that was a pretty big moment. Uh, not that I've ever been a big sort of shop, like uh, jersey swapping uh, player, but, uh, you know, some shirts have more meaning. And, and, and it goes back to, I remember as a 10-year-old when, when Smeichel was playing in Denmark and I went uh, to a game and there was this rumor about, you know, him, you know, how hard he was working. And uh, so actually before the game went down and, and watched his warm-up. And that that's something that that stuck with me on, on, until, you know, that passion, that intensity he had, uh, you know, how, how hard he was working. The, the warm-ups were, you know, it was uh, you know harder than any training session I'd ever seen. Uh, and I think there's just that impression. And then what he went on to 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 do for, for Danish football and, and obviously for goalkeepers in Denmark, you know, it was a huge... Um, you know, uh, idol for, for a lot of us. And, and then to finally be on the same pitch and, and swap shirts, that, that was a special moment. And so I get what Townsend, you know, you know what he's going through because it, it, has, a, it has a meaning when you play against someone that, that you've looked up to. I've got, a, I've got one for you um, with the three shirts behind us here. The AC Milan, Barca and Roma. The, I think we, I've already told the one about um, the yeah. AC Milan shirt when I swapped with Costa Curta. He threw mine away into the Leeds fans. That was the most embarrassing moment. The other one there's the the Barcelona one, Dave. Mm-hmm. Frank De Boer. Uh, we got oh, smashed. I haven't seen that one behind you yet, actually. Uh, we got we smashed by them. I mean, that was there was Frank De Boer, Koku, um, Rivaldo, oh, R- Rivaldo, Cliver. They were, they were sensational. We were falling down. So swapping shirts with with him. Many years later, he was at the Ivy nightclub. Um, Holland played Socceroos at the um, Sydney Stadium. I was in the Ivy. And I went over to him. I said, oh, like, nice to see you, um, Michael Bridges. I've got your shirt on my wall. He went, ah, okay. He said, I wash my car with yours. I was absolutely gutted. He destroyed me. And all my mates behind us were laughing. And it actually set me up, which I did not know. So I thought he was a very arrogant arsehole. But it was actually really good banter because the boys had actually gone up and preempted him that they were going to get me to come up. And the other one I'm not proud of is this one here, the Roma shirt, Alda here. Not my proudest moment, but something that really gave me satisfaction. Played against um, Aldea, the Brazilian, and he kicked me 
every time the ball was at the other end of the field, he would he would give us a nipple gripple. He spat in the back of my head. He punched us. He kicked us. It was old school defending. He put me off my game completely. But to to gobby in the back of my head, I was disgusted at because there was no cameras or anything. So after the game, I made sure that I took my shirt off. I put the biggest gobby in it in the in inside of it, and I wiped my nose with it as well. And I wish I'd actually put it in places that I shouldn't have. And I handed him the jersey. And it was just so satisfying to see him wearing my jersey, walking off the field, knowing what was inside of it um, to get my own back because he, he destroyed me. Not my proudest moment, but Dave, I don't mind sharing that. That's football. <laughs> that is proper old school, that is, by the way. Old school. I, I couldn't think of it. I couldn't do anything during the game. And that I didn't was my take moment. you for such a bitter man, Bridgie. I didn't thank you for one. <laughs> <laughs> if only he um, knew. <laughs> I, I've, I've, funny enough, I haven't got anyone that I grew up idolizing. Um, well, I mean, obviously, I, I played against Peter Schmeichel as well, and obviously, big fan of of what what he did, and and he was certainly one of the greatest to have played, certainly in the Premier League. Um, <clears throat> played against him quite a lot of times, so so that was that was unbelievable. But I, I managed to get Buffon's shirt. After the 2006 World Cup or during the 2006 World Cup, when they knocked us out, but I didn't actually swap with him. It was, um, I think, it was Zorko Kalik went in there and spoke to one of the kit men, and they gave it. So it wasn't the same, you know. You don't swap yourself. The one that probably sticks out more for me, not not more so just because of the the person I swapped to was was Manuel Neuer 2010. We got thumped four nil. I had a bit of a stinker. But still, the fact was it was Manuel Neuer and big fan of what he done. Even though he's obviously younger than I am, but big fan of of how good a goalkeeper he, he is. Um, so yeah, that, I mean that that probably stands out. Um, and the ultimate one, even though it's not a it's not an original original, um, but it's a signed shirt. I've got two of them actually, and a couple of pictures in a book and all these sorts of stuff. But Pele, nothing beats that. Not that I played against him, of course. I know people say I'm old enough, but I didn't play against him, <laughs> just to set the record straight. Talk about walking into a joke, Bridgie. I'm surprised you haven't chimed in yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Nice one. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. And there, as I said, the Townsend aspect of it. At the time, you wondered, geez, that's a, that's a bit of cheek. But the story afterwards and then Ronaldo playing ball and swapping the jersey was lovely stuff. Now, we did say the Premier League is taking a break, but the international football rolls on on Optus Sport over the next week, guys, with uh, internationals through till the 17th of November um, with UEFA World Cup qualifying on Optus Sport. But the most interesting aspect probably in the short term is on Thursday and Friday, the Nation League semifinals, Italy against Spain at the San Siro and Belgium against France at the Allianz Stadium with the right to go through and play in Monday morning's final. All these games are at 5.45am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Um, who who do you guys fancy? Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting because, again, we'll uh, relive the dynamic of the uh, Italy-Spain again and the, uh, was it the 65% uh, possession? And, uh, you know, there won't be any Morata. He's not in the in the squad. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting again. It, it's going to be a tactical battle. Uh, it, I'll be interested to see where, you know, Italy is uh, mm. and Spain as well. well you know, we, we obviously... You know they 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 haven't looked as impressive, even though they've had the results of, of late. Have, have they got a bit of a hangover? Uh, so so it would be a good reassessment now because we have the World Cup in you know in about a year's time. So uh, so it'd be interesting now to again see these top sides uh, go head to head. So I, I I can't wait for those games. 
Italy, Spain is a real tasty one as well, in particular. France have got work to do. They've been poor in recent times, Bridgie. Um, but Spain also uh, hit a bit of a blip since the Euros as well. Um, who do you fancy seeing uh, in the final on Monday? I'm going to say Italy will get the job done. I like what they're all about. That unbeaten run continues. And I just think that the, the momentum they have, the, the team spirit and the belief, it'll get them through against, like Thomas says, a very, very good Spanish team that'll have the ball possession. But Mancini will find a way. They've got different, I like the way he's got different dynamics for that team that can play different ways. Um, and Belgium, France, I, I can't pick that one. I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is, Dave. Whoever is in the final against Italy, it's going to be going to be mouthwatering. But the, even the two semi-finals, just brilliant to see the four big nations going up against each other. And you know, you've just got to embrace it and enjoy it for what for what it is. Yeah, finals at the San Siro too, Schwartzy. So it, uh, if you if you reckon it's uh, set up for something, it, it's set up for uh, uh, Italy's uh, fairy tale to continue. Yeah, I, I, I do fancy Italy as well. Uh, I just think they'll be too good. I mean, I, I know since the Euros, they've had two draws and they beat Lithuania in their last game 5-0. So that was convincing. But uh, they had a little bit of a hangover. I think they're over it. I don't think Spain are good enough. Um, listen, they play, you know, we've seen them all the position in the world, play lovely football at times, but very, very little end product. Um, the other games are a really interesting one for so many reasons. Obviously, the colour of players on both sides is phenomenal. Belgium, one would argue and say that they've underperformed for so long that considering the players that they have in their, at, their, at their disposal, um, I know they came third at the World Cup in 2018, but they've still, un- let's be honest, they've underperformed mm. for what they've got. Roberto Martinez has, has not distanced himself. In fact, he's probably edged himself a bit closer to saying that he would be available for the Barcelona job if it was available. So I'd be interested to see how that's going to affect anyone. Um, and Deschamps, France, something's not right, is it? And it seems to be internally within the squad, there's, there are issues. Is when Duzi's being not? called up. Sorry? Is there ever not? Yeah, true. I mean, they, well, they didn't, they didn't when they won the World Cup um, in 18. It seemed to be everything was right. Everything was, was working well. Um, is it a coincidence that Benzema is there and then all of a sudden there's some issues? I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't want to point fingers at Paul Benzema because I think he's an unbelievable player. Um, has Deschamps kind of overstayed? He's welcome now. If he gets beaten by Belgium, it, it, I mean, I don't think that'll be the end of it. I think it'll continue, but there'll certainly be some questions because you look at both sides. Both sides should both sides are a great argument to say that they both should win the win the Nation League final at a canter, but that's not always the way, just because well, of the quality of players that both sides have. Many people would have had that as the Euros final before that, before the tournament, going in saying that that's the minimum for those two teams. And Dishons might not get the sack, but Zinedine Zidane, Zidane, Zidane's name will certainly be in the papers. There's no doubt about that. Just want to go back to the other game there, Dave, Italy against Spain as well. I look at Serie A this season and last season, it, it's been fantastic. There's been a lot of goals. The games are exciting and it's great to see the Italian football back on the up. And I've looked at La Liga this season. The lack of goals, um, obviously Messi's not there now, Ronaldo's not there. It, it's almost like their football, they're, they're after something special. They need a rebuild um, and they need it very quickly because they, they get, it was a lot of one nilers this weekend and you're not used to that in, in um, La Liga. And they have been very, very lacklustre some of the games. So again... That's why I feel Italy at this moment in time um, will get the upper hand. And the, it's not about the leagues, but that's the way I've, I've seen it. 
Yeah, no, they're very they're fortunate with Spain that they do have Luis Enrique in charge, so they've got a good manager. But they do need to uh, they they need to evolve from what they did at the Euros too, as well, where they were struggling to put the ball in the back of the net at times as well. World Cup qualifiers. There's a few interesting groups, uh, particularly there's a lot of games to go through. But I'll just pick out a, a few of the groups. Group A: Portugal are on 13 points with Serbia breathing down their neck on 11. Then you squeeze through and you go Spain have got some breathing space over Sweden. Italy have got breathing space over Switzerland. Uh, France have got breathing space over Ukraine. Then it starts to get uh, Belgium have breathing space over Czech Republic and Wales. Then it's, uh, Denmark have got breathing space over Scotland and Israel. But then it starts to get interesting. Netherlands are tight on with Norway and Turkey. Croatia are level on 13 points with Russia, with Slovakia not far behind. England are pretty in a pretty good spot on 16 points ahead of Albania, Poland, and Hungary, but they, they do play Hungary uh, in this set of fixtures. Germany 15 against Armenia 11. They're in a pretty good spot too. So there's a few interesting groups coming up. Denmark are flying, Thomas. You must be absolutely loving it. They're, they're absolutely leading the way in terms of how UEFA teams are performing after the Euros. Um, but there, there's a few interesting tight groups. Anything in particular that you guys are, are keeping an eye on, on uh, these gladder fixtures over the next uh, week? Because there's, there's a truckload of games. I think the question is, uh, is Haaland uh, available for Norway? I think um, I actually don't know if he's in the squad. Uh, that that would be a bit, big miss for them if, uh, because as you say, that group is really, really tight. Um, but yeah, just delighted. I think hopefully Denmark can be the first team to qualify. Let's see. But uh, yeah, no, there's uh, exciting games and also a fair, fair few groups that are already decided. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely good games to look forward to. To answer your I've, question, he, he's in major doubt. Major, major doubt. He is, is he? Damn. He's a, you want to watch him every week or as many times as you can play. Uh, group Group H, Croatia, Russia and Slovakia. That is a very, very interesting one, Dave. I'm watching that one closely. And like you've just said that um, with, with Tommy, Denmark leading the group, Scotland are in second. And then we've got Israel and Austria. So I am cheering on Israel and Austria because I do not want Scotland to get through. So there you go. And uh, England, yeah, they're looking good. Uh, Tammy Abraham recalled to the England lineup as well for his and film playing under Jose Mourinho and Ben Chilwell as well. Well deserved. You know, Tammy's gone over there. He scored goals for Chelsea when he was relied upon for Frank Lampard. He's gone over there with with Jose. Um, uh, whether he's where his career will go for that, we don't know. Um, but no, fantastic. He's scoring goals. He's playing very well. He's and he's playing regular. Uh, yeah, and I think that's a really, really. Uh, what should I say? Uh, it's not a token gesture from Southgate. He has earned it. And he's he probably said to him, if you're going to go away and play and you're going to get, you'll get an opportunity. And it's what's your matters further afield of up to sport. Obviously the Socceroos return to World Cup qualifying action. They're looking to become the first side to win 11 straight World Cup qualifiers in the one campaign. So a huge uh, moment. Talk, Tommy talked about Denmark leading the way in one sense. And the Socceroos can do that again here against Oman and Japan. Obviously not at home again, but playing in that base um, in Qatar. Um, Economides is back in. Uh, Fran Karacic is back in. Then Genro gets a Guernsey as well. Um, it's fair to say things are in a decent spot for Graham Arnold. And in terms of World Cup qualifying, this is a, this is a really exciting opportunity in the next couple of games. Oh, huge! Um, listen, I said it. I said it a couple of weeks ago when they when they won their tenth in a row. Um, you can't underestimate how good an accomplishment that is. Um, to go on now and say win win the eleventh game to 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 beat Oman would be a, a, a really really good phenomenal performance. Continuing along that path, that journey, 
you know, the, the sooner you can qualify, the better, of course. That goes without saying. Um, I think for everyone, you know, you desperately want to try and get over the line as quickly as possible. You don't want to be messing about. They're tough games. Australia are playing at the moment all their games away from home. They're not, they're, they haven't got the home game, a home ground advantage. Mm. Um, it's tough. The conditions are never easy. And also we've got players who are out of season. So I think Graham Arnold has done a really, really good job um, at managing the players, managing the team. Everyone seems to have bought into it because you can't do it if you haven't got everyone on board. And he's clearly got everyone on board and uh, they deserve to be where they are right now. Is there an aspect of the side that encourages you in particular after the last set of fixtures? Um, because as you mentioned last time, it's not a side of the same pedigree as your cohort or the one afterwards, but they seem to be moulding into into a team that um, not only are they doing a job in tough conditions, there's actually times they're playing some football that makes you think that, that they're going to be a decent team to watch the more they get to play together. Yeah, I think, you know, walk-up qualifiers – You've, you've got to take them for what they are, right? So at the importance of them. And, yeah, we want to see good football. We want to see them perform well. But ultimately, it's about just getting the points on the ball. Thomas will tell you as well, you know, is that they're so difficult. Sometimes you're playing away from home, the, 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 the workload, the, the limited time you have together to, to work on things. You just need to get the results on the board. You need to get through, get yourself qualified, once you're qualified, then you've got all that time to work on the end product, preparing for the major tournaments. So what I like about what I've seen is just that the, the work rate, the, the commitment, the togetherness of the side uh, under really extreme conditions, you know, in Kuwait, that, that mini tournament they played to qualify for this group stages. Since then, the two games that they've won, now they've got this little little period of games. If they can if they can pick up a minimum of four points, because Japan's going to be a tough game, right? Oman's not going to be easy. If they can pick up four points in this next in these next two games, they'll have they'll put themselves in such a great position. Yeah, really looking. For, I mean, Oman is tricky, as you said, and always looking forward to the Japan yardstick. That is always a, a humdinger of a contest. Sorry, Bridgie. No, just going to say the four clean sheets in a row as well. That's that's invaluable. Now, I think he's a he's a the, the player. I'm really really looking forward to seeing where he goes. There's Harry Suter. I think he's been outstanding. I think he will move in January, if not the end of the season. And you know, I, I like the age of the squad as well, especially when I saw the starting lineup. My old mate um, from the Jets, Taggart, in there doing doing leading the line, work rate, um, Rogic in behind him, and you know, McGree, Riley McGree. Um, what what a player! Very, very, it's exciting times. I've got to say it's exciting times. Trent Sainsbury with the, I think, more of the experience and the knowledge. He's played over in Europe. He's been with Inter Milan. Matty Ryan, the quality and suit. I just feel the the balance and what, what Swartz is taught about, the way Arnie's gone about his business. It's a superb record and it should not be underestimated. And Tom Rogic comes in after assisting to ensure that Celtic get the result that Ange Postacoglu needed against Aberdeen and Harustic involved in a win for Eintracht Frankfurt against Bayern Munich. So good to see a few little club wins and club results to, to, to come into camp with as well. Just last one, have you been following, like, how is Harustic, what kind of impression is he making in, in Germany? Because he, he seems to be a player that is, um, Schwartzy, that is uh, becoming even more influential with the Socceroos by each game. Um, he, he's taken a bit of time to, to, to find his way into the side. Um, he's been given more and more opportunities of late. Um, by all accounts, he's done really well. Uh, obviously, that result on the weekend is an enormous result. Eintracht Frankfurt, over the last couple of seasons, have gone to, to Munich and been on the end of thumpings. Um, losing, I think, I think the last two times they played, they lost 
certainly I think five one uh, on both occasions. So they were they were really put to the sword. So to go there and, and win two one, Frankfurt are a side generally over over the last couple of years who who have been kind of um, sometimes quite easily brushed aside when they when they find they're going a little bit tough. And for Ristic, I think it's a really good experience, really learning, good learning curve, learning environment, and he seems to have uh, really matured as a player and he's been able to take that experience across with the Socceroos, which is the more players we have playing at the higher levels, the better. Um, we're lacking those players. We need more players in Europe. We need more players knocking on the door, playing in these in these in these better leagues. And um, the more we can do it, the sooner we can do it, the better the national team will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, and that Bayern result, by the way, was what part of a weird weekend where Ren beat Paris Saint Germain and Espanyol beat uh, Real Madrid. So uh, go figure. Go the Super League. Go the results in the. <laughs> there was only one. Well, there was probably several people around the world laughing. I don't condone betting, but the bookies made an absolute fortune this weekend on all the accumulators because all the top teams got absolutely flogged, and the bookies were laughing. Yeah, good stuff. It's why we love the football. It's why we love the game. It's why we love the game. Even the greatest certainties are never certain in football. Gents, another marathon episode. Thank you so much for your insights once again. Great to chat to you all about uh, a lot of different topics in the world of football. But uh, as ever, there's a lot going on. Bridgie, Tommy, Schwartz, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, enjoy the international break. Thank you, Dave. We certainly will. Swarty, enjoy the sangria. Hopefully you'll be crying in it when Italy will beat them and you'll have to (laughs) try and make all them Spanish friends of yours and all your neighbours very, very happy after the defeat. Tommy, I know you're in lockdown, mate, but we're nearly there at the end of it. Stay safe and um, love you guys. Yeah, I I hope we can just uh, book a Denmark ticket to the World Cup, so I have that to look forward to. Yeah, nice one. Nice one. Gents, thanks so much as ever. Everyone out there listening, hope you enjoy another episode of the Gagan Pod. Great to be back with you. And as ever, until the next episode, enjoy your football. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.